Cubs, Cubs, cave parties. Everybody's in full giving back to those in Stu, we're back. And there's a badass in the house, I'll tell you He's that like much. He's like Johnny Rambo oh. meets a- Indiana Jones, this guy. This guy, well, I don't know if you know this, but we are on a diet. We should be following you, uh, Alex around, you know? <laughs> right, exactly. We are on a diet. You can't tell, but we are. So we have Alex Panto. He's laughing right now. Alex is laughing. You can eat whatever you want when you do that, when you do what we do. We have Alex Panko here, and we're going to let you introduce yourself. And you have a handler with you. Mike, I don't know your last Mike name. Bruce. Mike, Mike Bruce. Mike Bruce. Mike Bruce. What's going on? How are you guys doing? Good, man. We're good. Thank thanks you for, for having us on. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, thanks guys, for having us. These guys came all the way from Chicago and battled the, you know, five o'clock traffic. I know. I, I, I would. After hearing what he's been doing right now, I'd, that was probably nothing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'd actually say it's riskier battling the traffic. But go ahead. Yeah. Well, let's start right away. Just tell us uh, what, uh, who you are, and how you became a Cubs fan, and what you're doing. I'm Alex Panko, and I kind of—I don't know how I specifically became a Cub fan. It just happened. Uh, my family, their whole history is on the South Side. Uh, when they came here as immigrants, they had a hot dog stand outside of Comiskey, and my first game was actually a Sox game. Um, I'd have to say probably Sammy Sosa. Uh, you know, that kind of drew a lot of fans into the game, and I was what 11, 12. Then. I like this guy even more. Yeah, that's yeah. Stu's favorite guy. <laughs> it's his guy, my guy. I got to get uh, time to get him back in the organization. That's another story. Uh, hey, no, they need to. I mean, yeah. it's been long enough. Sammy right. wants to come back. I know. He, he did a lot for that organization. They forget about it. I think sometimes. Oh yeah, for eight years was the only reason why to watch the Cubs. Right. You know. So you started with Sammy, and then just progressed from there uh yeah and then the energy you know i don't want to ever say fairweather fan but when especially when you're younger i wasn't a huge baseball fan but the energy in 2003 wrigley i I think any cub fan will say it's as much about wrigley field as anything else if it wasn't for wrigley field i mean that place is magic and that experience was unlike anything i'd ever felt wow i mean that's how i got sucked into it too just going to wrigley field it just changes you i think a little bit you know i mean I'll go there and hang out without a game. I'll just go there and sit and give me a beer. I'll be happier. I <laughs> yeah, better believe it, especially the park at Wrigley. It's beautiful. Oh, yeah. Oh, jeez. Well, now it's Gallagher Way, so I don't want to get in trouble for that. But, jeez, it's gorgeous. Yeah. So, Mike, you're 32 years old. Is that correct? Uh, yes. 32 years old. And uh, you didn't have to wait as long as most Cub fans did, but you got to see the World Series. Tell us about that, what that meant to you. Yeah. Um, so, as we'll talk about, I'm sure later, you know, I was supposed to actually be climbing uh, Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa when it happened. And I said, there's no way this is going to happen. Actually, backtracking, the funniest thing was me and some friends had a few too many beers and we decided to fly out to San Francisco for, uh, for that series. And they booked a return flight where they had to leave that game when we were down three runs in the oh. ninth and they all left. And no. I stayed. I was the only one who stayed. I rebooked my flight the next day. It was the best decision I ever made. That is. That's a classic. For sure. I, I got I, I got a guy to shave his head after that. He's like, they're they're losing. It's over. And I'm like, <laughs> no. no. So you were at that game, the comeback. Yes, I was at the comeback. I was at every single one of the games at Wrigley. I almost went to Cleveland, but it was just one of those things where I wanted to experience the win if we pulled it out in Wrigley, uh, in Wrigleyville, with friends, with family. And then also I said, if we don't pull it out, I really don't want to be in Cleveland. Right. So. 
So yeah, I wanted to, um, you know, th- this is like our first guest is perfect for Club 400 Radio, just because um, he wants to give it back too. So this is the first time meeting him. I'm really excited about it that we have a Cub fan who wants to give it, to help others, you know. And that's why we brought Alex in today. And uh, tell us about your your fundraising adventure, which it is an adventure, by the way. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, well, first off, as a uh, well, not really a kid, but as an 18 year old, I had a brain tumor uh, at Lurie Children's. It wasn't cancerous. It was a you know, it ended well. But I always kind of had a special relationship with Lurie's since then. Fast forward, and I decided to first start by climbing Kilimanjaro. It was just a bucket list item, and I I loved it. I succeeded at it. So I set my mind, uh, my aim at something called the Explorer's Grand Slam. It's something about 62 people in the world have done. It involves climbing the seven summits, which is the highest mountain on each continent, and then skiing the last degree to both the North and South Pole. So 70 nautical miles, six to seven days. Um, In kind of researching this, I learned that a lot of people who did this used it to draw attention to a platform they cared a lot about. So that's when I started, uh, that's when I decided to give back to Lurie's, we're giving back directly to their neurological research program. Every climb is paid for out of my own pocket. So every dollar goes directly to them. And uh, we've raised now over $400,000. Wow. So that's great. That's awesome. So have you always been like a daredevil growing up? Or are you, are you the guy always jumping with the BMX bike off? Of, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I was a da- I like downhill skiing in resorts, and I used to always people see people snowshoeing up, and I said that seems really boring and stupid. Okay. So, uh, no, really, I never did. Um, but then when I did Kilimanjaro, it, it changed my perspective because there's something so awesome about pushing so physically and mentally to your limit, and then you're finally at the top. Um, you know, you, you succeeded and you reached it. Or when you didn't, you failed, but you learn more about yourself and become stronger for it and learn from it and get it the next time. Gotcha. So it was Kilimanjaro basically that brought you, you – th- after you did that climb, you said, well, I'm, I want to keep doing this, basically. Yeah. Is that, was that right? Or Yeah, I, like I said, I mean, it's so hard physically and mentally. Uh, it's kind of like, if, if you ever read, uh, what's my call, Tom? It's the Hemingway book about uh, the, the Cuban fisherman who's trying to catch a fish. The Man in the Sea. The Man in the Sea, yes. Yeah, so I was playing yeah, that. They, thanks for bailing me out there. It's one of my yeah, favorite like, books, and I couldn't remember it. Um, <laughs> but the whole time, he's saying, I can't do it. I'm going to die. And then he goes, yes, I can. I can do it. And that's the mental battle that occurs when you're mountaineering. So it's awesome. The, the, some of the shorter climbs are three to four days that you start training. Everest is going to be two months. That's another component. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's incredible. And then also getting to see the world. When you go to these places, you, have to, you're not just, you don't just go to foreign countries. You get outside the cities. You get into the countryside. You really get to learn the people. So it's great from a cultural experience as well. So tell us a little bit about how you train for this. You, you know, you said both physically and mentally you have to do that. Well, mentally it's great because I train three to four hours most days in my stairwell with a 60-pound pack, and if that doesn't drive you insane a little bit, I don't know what will. Uh, lots of cardio, lots of aerobic, lots of core, probably on average three to four hours a day. Some days are shorter, but then the long ones are really long. But the best thing is getting the excuse to train on other mountains because those are challenging on their own. Are you allowed to listen to music when you're climbing the mountains? Uh, like, do iPods even work? At <laughs> negative well, six. actually, iPad na- or iPod Nanos tend to last the longest. All right, uh, if you wanted to know. That. There um, you go. Yeah, but sometimes you can't. It depends upon where you are. Uh, crevasses, rockfall, icefall. When you need to be listening and communicating with uh, team members. Plus, there's something really cool about the sound of crampons um, at night. When you you generally go for the summit at night, um, and then you get there close to dawn. That's for a variety of reasons, but just it's 
peaceful. It's nice to not listen to anything. Did you, uh, I forgot to ask you earlier. Do you have a, a wife or kids or anything? Or nope, single. Oh, perfect. It's that, that, single. That's Smart why I'm here. Man. Smart man. <laughs> so, that's why I'm here. <laughs> that's right. So you don't have, you know, you can actually, you know, if you Ladies. have kids and a, have a wife, you have a response. It's nice that you don't. You can just focus on it. You know. Yeah. Um. I couldn't. I think. You know, I don't want to ever be judgmental because there's a lot of great people I know who do have a wife and kids, but that adds another element to uh, the risk equation, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So you got a big climb Everest in April, which, I mean, everybody knows about that hill. Uh, well, tell us about what you're doing, too, when you reach these peaks. I think that's a important concept here. Yeah, so um, at every peak, I have three flags, one for Northwestern, one for Lurie's, and, of course, the Cubs flag, uh, flying the W. And every single climb, I tr- I've now started with uh, two ago, I've started dedicating to a current or former patient at Lurie's. I really want to start telling their stories and it's really cool i have four signed 2016 world series baseballs from anthony rizzo and i'm bringing uh one to each summit and then giving it to the kid i dedicated it to nice that's awesome maybe you gotta rub it into the dirt a little bit up there yeah not on the autograph side i'll probably i'll probably drop it (laughs) oh yeah no watch it roll down so like once you reach the summit i mean how much time do you spend up there to yeah, just, is it a little bit of time or two to twenty minutes, depending upon? That's uh, it? So. it. Yeah, it depends upon um, with the situation. If it's bad okay. weather or people on the team are hurting, you get down fast. Okay, getting down's way harder. I, I, I would suppose it would be. Yeah. yeah. So, how many people are on a team? You mentioned the team. Um, generally speaking, it's five to ten. Uh, yeah, and it's really funny. You get to meet kind of the same people, and you start signing up for climbs together. So. Uh, I have a really interesting international crew of friends at this point. Wow, that's well, that's, I, yeah, that's another thing. You just meet amazing people, who, and like you said, they're all pretty much doing charitable things all with with their climbs. So that's that's pretty awesome. And the fact that he raised four hundred thousand dollars—that's impressive. I mean, you know, Club Four Hundred raised three hundred, and I, that's been a lot of work. But I I totally can respect that. I think it's unbelievable. Three hundred. That's amazing. Well, three hundred. But this guy here, he's I mean, just climbing for money. I love it. <laughs> you can't go wrong. You probably know this. So the fundraising part is is another summit on its own. That's uh, you yeah. know, yeah. And that's one of the reasons why we brought you in. We want to help you. Club Four Hundred Radio and our, our band of brothers want to help you out here. Yeah, you got to be doubly driven because you not only do you have to prep and and be mentally ready to go, but. Uh, the, it is. It's hard work raising money and, and all that kind of thing. So that, that passion is, is really important. Do you have, um, did you say you've already chosen a child for? Well, the, the next, next one is actually, uh, I did not summit Denali. I'm going to have to go back and do that. Our team just did not get a weather window. We were there waiting forever. Um, so River, uh, who's now three or four, um, who's been had a brain tumor at age one, I believe has been cured cancer-free since March of this year. I dedicated Denali to River. I didn't get there, so now it's kind of taking care of that first. Gotcha. Well, recently, we were, that's why I call him a badass. We could say that on the radio, right? Yeah. Okay, good. And you can say whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about what happened, uh, was it a month ago, two months ago? Yeah, it would be one month ago. Um, I was in Aspen training and I don't try to train by myself, so to speak, but sometimes you just, you have to, cause I try to train a, at a very specific kind of rate and aerobic threshold. And I summited the mountain, uh, snow mass. It's 22 miles round trip, 6,000 vertical feet of elevation gain. And, uh, I was trying to do it in a day, which is 
pushing it. And right on top, I noticed storm clouds coming in. So I had to scurry on down really fast. So for one second on the way down, I took my eye off of the handhold I had and it broke off of the rock I was using to down climb. I fell maybe two feet, um, but right into another rock that just sliced my calf open. Um, <laughs> I was about to kick the rock and then I realized my leg wasn't moving. And then I looked at my leg and I was like, oh, we have a little bit of a problem here. Yeah, well, I saw a picture. It was a problem. Yeah. <laughs> Houston, we've got a problem. Yeah, well, so I was like, Houston, uh, we have a problem here. So um, it was panic, pure panic for about five seconds. Every thought, like every terrible thought comes at you at once. And then after five seconds, suddenly another voice in my head was louder. You need to take control of the situation now. So I dove down kind of to some rocks that were flat because I couldn't really walk and tourniqueted the leg with uh, some extra jackets I had, raised it, stopped the bleeding, but I could not walk. Um, He's by, you're by yourself, obviously. By myself. With no cell phone. Uh, I had a cell phone, well. but normally I carry a GPS with me. I didn't in this case. It got left in the car, and my cell phone had no um, It had no signal. All I had was, uh, was sour, uh, sour Patch gummies and some water. <laughs> So I crawled under a rock because it started to rain, and I became hypothermic. So it was a really bad situation. And um, at that point, it stopped raining, and I said, I'm not going to sit here waiting for something to happen. I'm going to try and make something happen. So I started down climbing. It was a long ways down. I wasn't, it would have been 10, 11 hours for me to go down, which should have taken an hour to get to, to rescue. Uh, but I got one bar on the way down, and I called it, and uh, then I was rescued by the gypsum. Let me make sure I get this right, because they saved my life. The um, High Altitude Army National Guard came and got me with a Black Hawk helicopter. Wow. And I'm uh, on my next climb bringing another sign for them. I tried to get their individual names. They said, nope, we want to go in as a unit. So that was really cool. Yeah, that's cool. And, uh, yeah, they're a great group. Volunteer-based also, Aspen Mountain Rescue, they played a big role in it. Wow. So, so did, that, is, did you just 911 it, or did you call them specifically? I 911, yeah, oh, I okay. called 911. What's I, your location, <laughs> sir? <laughs> well, I, I luckily had I had my Garmin, so I got them that. But then the funny part is I did call a friend who was in Aspen at the time, and uh, they called my mom, which I should said they should not do. <laughs> and afterwards, I'm in the hospital bed, and the sheriff comes in and goes, yeah, we've... Uh, been getting a lot of calls from your mom. Oh, no. <laughs> so the, is that the first time you've had, a, like, a pretty serious injury? Yeah, I've, uh, I mean, on every single climb, there's moments. On every single major climb, there's serious injuries. You see people getting evacuated. I mean, sometimes people pay that ultimate price. Um, but personally, I've seen people get evacuated, but I never have been in a situation where I was close. So... I, and, and What's I, that feeling? What's that thought when you do see someone like going through something challenging, frostbite, they're ready to go and you can still keep going? Do you get nervous or like what's the deal? Uh, no, not really. Um, a lot of stuff happens on mountains. You kind of become, to be blunt, a little bit numb to it. It does become kind of crazy when it's someone on your team. Uh, we had a team member who was getting what's called cerebral edema. It's from high altitude. It's swelling of the brain. And they tapped me from behind, and they go, hey, uh, Alex, I can't see anything. And I go, what are you telling me for? <laughs> go tell the guide. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it's How it's do you fix that? <laughs> <laughs> Our guide got him down to a helicopter, and two days later, he sent a picture of him uh, smoking a cigarette and drinking a beer by the pool while we were still climbing. So, oh, jeez, uh, yeah, he's living the life. <laughs> wow. 
So the Everest, I just go back in the Everest. Uh, what do they what do they call those guys that help you up there? Sherpas. Sherpas, yeah. And then, so how big is that group going to be that goes with you guys, and how many Sherpas to a crew? Oh man, first off, you could not climb without the Sherpas. Uh, they're fantastic climbers. They take more risk than anyone because. The ice fall, it's the most dangerous part of Everest. It's the first part. Um, that's where all those Sherpas died in both the avalanche and the earthquake uh, in 2014 and 2015. They logistically make it possible. They bring stuff up there. You know, they make, they do well for their area of the world, but it's very little relative. Um, and they take incredible risk. And so Dawa, uh, Dawa Sherpa, he's, um, he climbed with me on Island Peak. Awesome guy. He's going to be climbing with me on Cho'oyu this next climb. Really cool guy, getting a computer programming uh, degree of sorts, so I'm bringing him a, an iMac. So, uh, yeah, that's going to be really cool to see him again. So between now and Everest, how many climbs are you doing then to prepare for it? Uh, I'm doing Cho'oyu. I leave in a week. Uh, that's my first 8,000-meter peak. It's really kind of to gauge where I'm at before Everest um, and a huge climb on its own. After that, I have summit number five of the seven, which is in New Guinea. It's called Karsten's Pyramid. Um, I'm back for a month before I ski to the South Pole. Uh, and then it's really training for Everest. Wow. We'll see. I, I tend to get very, very, uh, let's just say I, I get a little stir crazy staying here for too long, so I might throw something else in there. You're, you're like a guy who can't sit still. You kind of remind me of myself, you know? <laughs> that's, a fair, that's a fair understatement, actually. <laughs> what kind of animals do you see in the South Pole? Uh, none where we are. <laughs> oh, jeez. You see some snow. Yeah, no. I'm sure you're probably watching Cub games at all you know different time zones oh yeah. yeah when i have internet it's yeah, yeah. right <laughs> and i said uh he's gonna be missing the uh, opening day he'll be on Everest. right you know think about it, club 400 um that's why we're, we're gonna have a t- little talk later but you could have your name or your uh maybe companies raised on everest you know you know hey everything has its price you know so <laughs> right that's right <laughs> I think it would be awesome. Like you said, I want to oh, get, I wanna so get Club 400 on the Everest. That would be, be awesome. Oh, that would be amazing. <laughs> How about Club 400 Radio? Yeah. yeah get some new listeners. Up. There you go. Yeah, exactly. So have you got uh, – have you worked with any – I know you work with Mike. When Mike used to work uh, for the Wood, uh, Wood Family Foundation, which is one of my favorite organizations because Carrie's an unbelievable guy. And um, – have you worked with any uh, ch- ch- charitable company like Rizzo? You said you work with Rizzo a little bit. Uh, to be clear, I don't work with uh, with Rizzo. I was lucky lucky enough to get four of the signed uh, okay. World Series baseballs from him. But um, no, I mean what he's done for Lurie's on on its own. It's it's incredible, and um, you know I, I loved crossing paths with him. That was awesome. But he's doing his thing for them, which is fantastic, and he's done a great job. And right. he's someone I really look up to because these athletes, you know, they they have all this success but they have such an ability to drive change in the communities around them if they choose to do it. Right. And Anthony has done that, and uh, he's ingrained himself in Chicago for well, life. I think, yeah. I think when it's said and done, he'll probably be uh, raise more money than any Chicago athlete ever. I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. there's no question. Yeah. I believe no, no, it. Yeah. I believe it. Yeah, and he probably, uh, well, he might love for, for me saying this, but, you know, he signed that contract extension. You know, he took kind of a gamble there. Let's just say he's been very, 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 very generous, I think, oh, uh, yeah, personally. Right. Yeah, I think that Cub fans in general are very generous too, and uh, you know a lot of the players. You know, if you look at the Chicago Cubs organization, they have about a charity uh, event each month from, and each player does one, and you don't see that from a, a lot of these teams out there. They might have one or two, but 
I can guarantee you there's been like six or seven during the season this year. Joe does yeah. his thing. Oh, yeah. A lot Joe has chair. multiple, and I think everyone – that's been one of the greatest things is uh, just watching the the growth and the change from, like, Lester and um, yeah. from Carrie, who just started doing these charity events, right. and then that's kind of grown. Um, but it's been awesome to I see Rick. I think almost started that. that I think he yeah, did because he had the, the strikeout event yeah, uh, right. with bowling, got the guys surrounded, and then everyone else started building, which but is – the fan base is, you know – Another team, if even if they had eight guys that want to do charity events, I don't think they could get. I don't you know. No. The, the There's people. no love like it's Chicago not, love. There's Chicago no question. Are the best. They're the know. best. Yeah, yeah, well, we, doubt. Midwest is best. We, we, we love that World Series. I mean, you saw just a sense of community afterwards. It was unreal and unlike anything I'd ever seen. Especially you know everyone signing the bricks at Wrigley Field. So, yeah, that's one thing I've definitely loved to tap into um, with what I'm doing and with the Cubs community. They uh, they have each other's backs. Oh yeah, it's a family, and that's what I always said. Uh, it's, it's almost like a religion. You know, you wear the same hat, you know, same logo, same color of your jersey. It, it unites you as people. And, you know, like you, you just run into a stranger in another state, and if he's wearing something Cubs, you next, you know, you're hanging out with him for two hours. Buying yeah, beers. that's a new brother buying beers, yeah. having a good time. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, so as far as, like, our listeners and the Club 400 community, uh, how, how, how can they donate to you as of right now? Uh, you can donate on peaksofmind.com. You can also, it's just, you know, follow me on uh, peaks underscore of underscore mind uh, on Instagram if you want to follow my adventures. And then, you know, ultimately so many people in Chicago just like they're touched and love the Cubs. I, I feel almost everyone either directly or indirectly has been touched by Lurie's. So, you know, I'm flying the W flag up there. I'm trying to bring awareness to a great cause. And I, Lurie's is so special to the Chicago community um, in a very different way, so, yeah, but it is very special. And so uh, this is kind of, you know, me just trying to get that out there, that every little bit of support, no matter how small the donation, I'd rather have tons of people donating small amounts than two or three people donating larger amounts because I want this to be about the Chicago community, the Cubs community, and everyone who's been touched by Lurie's, which is, I'm sure you guys know people who have. It's right. been so great for this community. And that's exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to build a community of Cub fans. If you have 10,000 people and everybody donates $1, which is nothing, <laughs> right. Right. that's $10,000. But it's all getting everybody together and, uh, and helping out. I mean, there's a lot of – that's my, my goal, long-term goal, is to build a huge – there's so many different Facebook pages out there. You know, Everybody's got their own blogs and everyone's doing podcasts. But I've talked to many different guys that are doing their own podcasts and their own, and their own websites. Let's combine forces. Let's, comp- you know, we're, that's, we're not we're not competing. No one's making money off this. Right. Let's just get together and and do something great. You know, let's show let's show the world that we are the best fans, and we already know that. But uh, <laughs> yeah. but let's just let's show the world from the top of the mountain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> Do you know anybody that ever carried a beer up to the mountain and had a beer? This is probably too dangerous when you're climbing, huh? <laughs> Depends upon how, how tall the mountain is. Yes, I've done that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> I shoot a little, uh, bring a little bit, a little Jaeger up there. Little Jaeger. Yeah, for Dorothy. Yeah. <laughs> for Dorothy. <laughs> you know what? I, if I really wanted to get some rivalry going, maybe I could bring a Cardinals flag up there and just, I don't know, do something to it. Burn <laughs> it. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. So these climbs, how they affect your, you know, you know, you you go to a lot of games, or are you? Uh, I go to as many as I can when I'm here. I'm are lucky. you a season ticket holder? Or? Yes, I'm very very lucky. Okay. Uh, during the kind of the right after the recession and when the team wasn't necessarily performing, I managed to get in. I don't mean to throw any Cub fans under the bus, but I'm going to throw one under. My uh, the seat neighbor next to me 
uh, said, I'm not renewing. Can you believe they just traded uh, Jeff Samarja for Addison Russell? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Have fun. Yeah. I nice. hope you saw that Game 6 Grand Slam by Addison Russell. Yeah. World, that, was, that was. I always remember Game 6, uh, the Addison Russell Grand Slam. Uh, I knew I was going to Cleveland the next day. I, changed, I, was, I got a picture of him hitting that Grand you Slam. You were at Game 7. Yeah, I went Game oh, 7. All right. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. Paid about $1,700 for the ticket. It was the best seventeen hundred dollars. Oh, I ever that's spent. worth it. There's uh, no question. Did you? How did you feel like you were going to get out of there alive? You know what? It was. Um, I think everybody was pretty wiped out. I mean, I, w- I was emotionally spent when that game ended. Like you're not. You're still tired. Come on, everyone in Chicago is still tired when they think back about it. It was exhausting. You know, the, that's what I'm trying to. You know, because I believe the Cubs are obviously going to win the division this year, and they're going to get to the playoffs. And the, because of the weak National League. And they, they got a chance to go back. Now, there's a lot of issues with this team, you know, as we talked about earlier, but every, every, every team has a lot of issues. So uh, I think, if, you know, it's all about who's getting hot at the right time this year, I think. And that's, uh, hopefully it'll be the Cubs, you know. Because I know we won't be relying on you, Darvish. But that's the a whole Cubs minus you, Darvish. Oh, you, come on. <laughs> you had to bring up you, Darvish. Yeah. Well, well we do got Mike over here. Mike, I wanted to bring you up because you're, you're working for the Chill Foundation, right? And tell us a yeah, little bit about that. Absolutely. So I want to say in May, it was kind of going back. And I grew up skateboarding, snowboarding, uh, trying to surf. We didn't uh, exactly have an ocean over here. Um, but when the opportunity came around to join Burton Snowboards and their charity arm to help kids get them out of the uh, the areas where they can't, you know, go to a mountain and, and it's just dangerous. Uh, but to give them the opportunity to have some fun and uh, experience a world outside their neighborhood, it was it's a no brainer. Right. Um, so right now I'm the events manager. I'm uh, handling events from here to Seattle to Vancouver, Toronto, and it's been uh Pretty special, but recently we took Kerry Woods uh, pitching kids to Lake Michigan, threw them on paddle boards, um, and that was the coolest thing, just to see them uh, light up when they stood on the board for even two seconds. Um, But just for them to take their minds off of what's going on back home, um, and you know, jump in the the clear blue water, it's it's awesome. It's cool, and that's uh, it's been a, a blessing and adventure, you know, all in one. That's great. Yeah, and you did a heck of a job with the Wood Foundation and through some really awesome events, and which I went to. And uh, um, yeah, you did a heck of a job. And I know we're going to be work to, working together in the future. I want this guy to MC one of our events one of these It'd days. It'd be great. Hey man, happen. I'm down. Yeah. I'm down. It'll be a blast. Hey, but he, by the way, listeners, Mike's Mike Bruce is from Crystal Lake, so he's uh, he's a local around here. Well, I'm a local. Grew up. I had yeah. uh, my family in the city, and uh, of course moved out here. Went to school out here. Uh, was a Cubs fan out here and, um, you know, really built around the community. But I just want to say thank you to Club 400 and everyone that uh, came out to Carrie's events. I mean, I think the parties wouldn't be without you and, and wouldn't have been as special without everyone jumping in and having a good time. And well, I think that's because of you. I mean, you interact with the people and you're always good about it. I mean, at the uh, winter warm-up last year, I guarantee you there's – 30 to 40 Club 400. Oh, it was there. awesome. It you was guys were great. Yeah, it was. And then, you know, Noah, which we'll have on a later show, built that bar. And uh, we raised like 12000 13000 for it. Which was crazy. And uh, Alex actually is bidding that one up. What, Do you remember the bar? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, I luckily, first off, I was bidding against someone else in my own group. Do you remember that? <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> that was pretty bad. Yeah, and then Stu probably killed me because I asked him if it would be okay to hold it in his garage for like a month, and then it ended up sitting for like five months, so I'm so sorry because that was not that the was intention your bar. at all. Yeah, no, you know, 
the full well, thing he I, helped start. He helped get me connected with Noah, and Noah's like I Noah's mean, the bar yeah. bar maker. The bar maker, yeah. Oh, I read about the bar. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. So I, I I told Mike after the event, I said. You never judge a book by its cover because there's some guy walking around with pajamas on. And he's the guy who got it for $13,000. Oh, it was crazy. Oh, wow. Crazy. So, but oh, one more time before we go off, uh, let, let us know, let the listeners know how they can donate to you again the easiest way. Uh, Peaksofmind.com and follow on Instagram. All right. Instagram. We'll I, post that on our uh, yeah, Facebook page. We're definitely going to post that, it. So. And then, um, yeah, we're going to go out and have a beer here in a little bit. And we're going to discuss uh, maybe a plan. Put a plan in place. you got to have a that's plan right. in place, right, William? That's right. All right, that's all the time we have. Thank you guys for coming. Yep, thank and, you very much. Uh, yeah. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for having all us. All right, thank you. This is the end. Beautiful friend. This is the end, my 